Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hello and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. I am Rocky Deer, your host. I'm here in Houston. Why am I in Houston? Because there's something big going on in Houston. It's the 2018 State Bar of Texas annual meeting, and I've got a very, very good friend of mine sitting across from me. He's, you know, for some reason, I can never get him to stop writing books, this guy. His name is John Browning. John, how are you? Doing great, Rocky. Many of you may have heard of John, or you may have heard him speak, or you may have read his books. You've been writing about almost everything under the sun. Do you have a, do you have like a murder mystery thriller yet? Not yet, because uh, my wife would like me to write a John Grisham-like courtroom thriller, uh, only, uh, unfortunately... I don't think I'm that creative. I think I'm going to have to do something that makes more money one of these days. You could take a Grisham book and maybe just put like some some duct tape over his name and and put yours in with a with like a sharpie, or do like a color by numbers thing and just change some names. That's, you could be a children's author. How about that? Well, you know, my uh, my first children's book didn't do very well, Rocky, uh, for reasons that may be obvious by the title. It's called Daddy Drinks Because You Cry, and uh, just didn't really. Uh, succeed. I also the truth tried hurts a, sometimes. Uh, the a, truth hurts to kids. And I tried a, a, a children's book on uh, federal jurisdiction called, uh, it was really kind of a Dr. Seuss style called There's a Panoyer in My Foyer. But, mm. you know, apparently federal jurisdiction is not a big issue with the pre-K set. They should make a Christmas movie out of that, though. Panoyer in the Foyer. Well, I still have the movie rights. And unfortunately, all the rights. Nobody's asked you for them yet? Uh, no. No? No. Well, maybe maybe somebody will, will hear this. Ah, that could be my ticket to startup. Yes, yes. Steven Spielberg, are you listening to this? Hey, Spielberg, listen. You got you got to get this guy, make Panoyer in the foyer <laughs> into an actual movie. You can change it around entirely and make it more like Star Wars-esque, but just keep the title. Exactly. That's all we care about. Yeah. Substance doesn't matter anymore. Y- you don't need much CGI with federal jurisdiction. No, you don't. No, you don't. You might need a few thoughts and prayers, but that's about <laughs> all. So, John, you're you're speaking here at our at our annual meeting. You've got you've got a couple of topics, but the one I thought was really interesting is about social media and ethics. Yes. So, is this the? I think we've heard the talks before about how you use social media to try to cross-examine a witness. Is it is it that kind of thing? Well, actually, it's uh, it's a little bit more of uh, some cautionary tales for lawyers, huh. uh, and it's an outgrowth of my most recent book, Legal Ethics and Social Media. A practitioner's handbook, uh, which came out uh, last June from uh, the ABA Press, and really what it is is uh, a guide for lawyers on avoiding the kind of pitfalls from an ethical standpoint that they can get into uh, when using social media. It and sounds like a movie on the Lifetime Network. <laughs> it probably could be. Yeah, like Unfriended or something like that. There we go. Yes, and it could be about three people and the unfriending, and we're just all kinds of creativity today. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So what in your research have, have lawyers kind of been tripping up on when it comes to social media and their, their use of that? Well, you know, pretty much every single way lawyers can use social media in their practice provides an avenue for misuse. And, That's comforting. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. And lawyers just uh, need to be aware of the fact that the same ethical rules are going to apply to these somewhat less traditional modes of communication. In other words, if it's something that you wouldn't 
you know, uh, say in a bar association speech or, you know, publish in a pleading, you should probably not tweet it or post it on Facebook. And lawyers have run into ethical issues even when they're not using it in kind of a more direct way, like investigating a case or a witness, in just publicizing an ongoing case, for example. There was a lawyer, uh, two lawyers actually, trying a big pharmaceutical case uh, against the makers of Xarelto. Okay. Now, Xarelto is made by a German-based company, Bayer, Mm -hmm. and these lawyers were on Instagram during the trial using the hashtag killing Nazis. Now, this was a reference to both the Quentin Tarantino movie and Glorious Bastards, but they were deliberately showing pictures of the courtroom, Instagramming photos of the courtroom with that hashtag, supposedly in an effort to, as the defense claimed, link, you know, the Nazi atrocities with the German manufacturer. And it was assailed by the defense attorneys as a xenophobic uh, strategy. And among other reasons, this was one of several things cited when the judge later threw out a $27.8 million trial verdict. And he later disciplined the two attorneys. In the case of one, fined her and uh, also sentenced her to do a pro bono and CLE. And with another attorney, he revoked the pro hack vice admission of that out-of-state attorney to practice in that court. And that was in Philadelphia. So I guess the first thing goes through my head, I'll be honest with you, is it's not so much the ethical issues and what the ethical violations were. It's more, this is something I wouldn't write even if I... Even if there was no ethical rule. It's poor judgment. Absolutely. It's like somehow in their heads, they thought it's okay to take their German base and equate that to Nazism. I mean, have you gotten any insight into what's going through people's minds when they're posting these social media? Well, the law firm of one of the attorneys involved was actually actively using that hashtag and those Instagram posts in promoting their firm. They were using it as part of their firm's promotional strategy, which the judge called a terrible reflection on our profession. But, you know, it's an lawyers, understatement. <laughs> yeah, and, and lawyers struggle, just to, you know, keep with the whole Instagram as an example, uh, lawyers struggle with other aspects, other ethical duties, uh, such as candor, uh, the duty of candor to the tribunal. One lawyer in New York was uh, involved with a case, and this was a, a labor and employment case, had missed a deadline on filing a particular pleading and later sought an extension, and as grounds for seeking the extension, uh, had said, hey, I've been out of the country caring for a uh, sick mother. Well, unfortunately for this lawyer... I think we see where this is going. Yep. Opposing counsel both owned a calendar and was social media savvy, and he looked at the Instagram post of that lawyer. And at the same time that she supposedly was away caring for the sick mother... Her Instagram account showed her having fun visiting art galleries, going to bars in Miami, uh, having Thanksgiving dinner in another city, you know, anywhere but where she claimed that she was supposed to be. The lawyers, the defense attorneys, confronted the court with this revelation. Judge was not amused, sanctioned that attorney, not only denied the request for the extension, but sanctioned that attorney $10,000. So pretty expensive lesson to learn about using Instagram and duty of candor to the court. You would think lawyers would know better, though, right? I mean, you'd think they would, they would figure that you've got an opposing counsel who, chances are, will notice this. You would think. But uh, I think that for a lot of lawyers, there seems to be, 
this sense of misplaced sense of security and anonymity in using the internet. And it really should be anything but. It's a little like a, a two-year-old throwing a blanket over his head and saying, I'm invisible. Well, you can't see us, but we can see you. I still do that, John. I mean, you know, there's no, re- there's no need to cast aspersions. I mean, you know, I'm the host of the show, and here we are. You're, you're telling me that doesn't work. I mean, come on. Yeah. A little sensitivity. And, and there's no Santa Claus. For all you kids listening, don't listen to this man. He is the Pinoyer in the foyer. I am. Yes. I am. So let's talk for a second then about this dichotomy, because on the one hand, we hear that social media can be a great tool. Lawyers need to embrace it when they're branding themselves and telling their stories. But then on the other hand, we see lawyers telling their stories and then getting slapped on the wrist or thumped on the head. How do you sort of traverse those two worlds? Yeah, it is kind of a, you know, a dichotomy there. And lawyers tell me, particularly after seeing a CLE that I've given Mm -hmm. or after reading an article I've I've written, say, you know what, I'm just going to stay away from social media. But there's a problem with that because we have a duty. And in fact, the state of Texas recently, uh, the board approved a uh, resolution that was promulgated by, among other groups, the computer and technology section of the state Mm. bar about adopting what 31 other states already had. And that is a revised version of uh, the one of the rules of professional conduct involving a duty of competency that includes a duty to be conversant in both the benefits and risks of technology. So no more caveman lawyer, no more Luddite lawyer. And so for lawyers to just stick their head in the sand and say, you know what, uh, best way to avoid this sort of uh, ethical quandary is just to not use or be involved with social media. I think that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You really do have a responsibility from a competence standpoint to be conversant in this, but we also, part of that competence involves being aware of the fact that there are ethical risks posed by certain types of misuse. But then if, if I'm a lawyer and I decide I don't want to have a LinkedIn profile or a Twitter handle, I don't want to be on Facebook or on Instagram. I just, I want to issue all of that. Maybe have email because that seems to be all the rage these days, right? <laughs> all the cool kids are doing yeah, it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the newest thing. <laughs> and there's, there's even these phones that fit in your pocket. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. All these doohickeys. But if I'm a lawyer and I decide I don't want to have a social media presence, are you saying that now the state bar rules are effectively saying I have to have a, a social media presence? Well, they're not requiring a social media presence per se, but they're, they will be requiring, as 31 other states and the ABA uh, has required, to have some sense of being conversant in the benefits and risks of technology. Now, this can encompass a whole host of things sure. besides being aware of the fact that, hey, there's a lot of valuable information that can benefit your client or pose certain risks for your client when it comes to social media. In a number of states where they already have addressed in the form of ethics opinions, attorneys' use of social media, they've said that this really is a part of being competent in one's representation of one's clients. Being aware so that you can advise your client, hey, if you post this, that's going to hurt our case. Mm. Or being aware of the fact that the other side may have some things that are damaging to their case that they've posted. So being aware of it and the use of it is really something attorneys should be aware of. Whether or not they have a, their own uh, social media presence, uh, that's up to them. That's their choice. Personally, 
you know, I think they're missing out because obviously, you know, I've seen the benefits of being on Facebook, being on Twitter, you know, from a uh, attorney promotional standpoint, as well as from a professional use standpoint. So then because you are on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn and so on and so forth, how do you make that determination as to what's okay to post, what is safe to post versus where are you carrying some risk? Because, you know, look, theoretically, anything you post could boomerang on you, even oh. if you're being completely good faith about it, sure, right? Sure, sure. So, I'll tell you, Rocky, I've walked into a mediation one time and had something that I had posted. Actually, it was sharing a, an article I had written that uh, the other lawyer felt helped his case, you know, helped certain, you okay. know, certain underscore certain legal points that he sure. was trying to make. Of course, in that instance, he probably didn't read my whole article because, you know, I actually think it helped my case. But uh, these things are going to happen. So you have to be aware of it. But I think that's just part of the price you pay. It's part and parcel of, you know, having a social media presence and being social media savvy. Well, the, the example you gave would be probably akin to giving a CLE talk and providing materials in that CLE talk. And somebody says, well, I heard your talk and sure. you said X and now you're saying Y. Sure. So... You actually support my case, Mr. Browning, right? <laughs> I, I've actually had, uh, I've walked into a hearing where uh, in an employment dispute, a non-compete, the opposing attorney was trying to cite a certain resource in support of his argument. What he didn't realize was he didn't take a look at who the author was. And I happened to write the chapter on non-competes for that particular legal treatise on Texas employment law. The judge knew this. I knew this. Opposing counsel didn't know this, even while he was attempting to cite it. And the judge himself chuckled and said, you might want to read the rest of what Mr. Browning wrote. And then he ruled for me. So, That sounds like you just made that story up, I get the feeling. Uh, I, I wish. Yeah. Stranger I, than fiction. I don't think you could have written that. But maybe you could write that in your upcoming thriller novel for the kids. <laughs> there you go. Your upcoming children's thriller novel. So now let's talk for a second. You know, you've been... You've been writing for a number of years now about social media. Sure, yeah, well, uh, book number four. And you just, you're just out to make me 30, look bad. 35 law review articles. Um, okay, keep Hundreds going. of others, yeah. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, anything else? Did you win a Pulitzer? Uh, I got nominated. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, wow, What for, for which article? Actually, I wrote a syndicated newspaper column called Legally Speaking for a number of years, ran in papers uh, throughout Texas, and I, wrote I remember a, that. Yeah, yes, I wrote a series of articles about the enduring legacy of racial violence, past racial violence like lynchings, on small Texas communities. Wow! And uh, that series of articles, which talked about you know various ones, some not very well known, uh, but which had lingering effects, was uh, selected or you know the series was nominated back in I think it was 2007 for um, the Pulitzer in uh, local reporting. I didn't win. I think I was one of about 148 people nominated uh, who did not win, <laughs> was not a finalist. Are you, but are you a little bitter? No, no. And believe me, I, for, for that, it was kind of like the honor is getting the nomination. Did uh, you get to walk on a red carpet? Not for that, but for other ones. I mean, you know, I've won a number of writing awards, so that's very nice. When you walk on the red carpet, do you like wear a certain designer? Do you say like, you know, I'm wearing Oscar de la Renta? <laughs> Who are you wearing? Exactly. Yeah, no. Although when I uh, won the Burton Award, uh, one of the years that I won that in Washington, D.C., they presented the Library of Congress. Usually, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, you know, presents the award. I attended and got to walk on the red carpet. It's a black tie event. And the actress, Jane Krakowski, uh, from 30 Rock. Oh, and, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, she was there because uh, the, 
guy behind Ally McBeal and Boston Legal and uh, those shows was being honored as well for legal writing in for television. And she was there and she needed someone to escort her uh, on the red carpet. I happened to walk out, you know, there all by my lonesome wearing my uh, Texas flag motif uh, tie and cummerbund set and my uh, full quill ostrich boots. And I guess I looked very Texas-y. So uh, Jane Krakowski uh, said, give me your arm. So that was kind of nice. Wow. You you got to escort an actress. I did. On the red carpet. I did. Of course, as soon as that was done, you know, I I think she distanced herself from me as far as possible, which is entirely understandable. You still understand, though, how all of these events, it kind of makes your life sound a little Forrest Gumpish. It's like everything just kind of cool happens to you. You know, it was at that ceremony that Chief Justice Roberts uh, paid me what I'm pretty sure was a compliment. He knew what I'd apparently won the award for. And he said, uh, I guess you don't write like a lawyer. And I That's said, a compliment. I said, no, Mr. Chief Justice, I guess I don't. And he said, I mean that as a compliment. And I said, I, I take it that way. That is a very good compliment. Yeah. Are you the owner of the Bubba Grump Shrimping Company? Uh, no. Because <laughs> that would be the only thing you'd need to complete the story to make this a truly, truly I, epic I guess story. I have to say that in my Forrest Gump voice. Like, I'm not a bright man. We can, have, we can have all kinds of shrimp. I can be Bubba, you can be Forrest. There we go. That could be a future podcast. Shrimp we'll rice, boiled yeah. shrimp. That's right. Yeah. All we need is a third person to be Lieutenant Dan, and That's we'll need right. a Jenny. Th- there you go. We can, we can recruit and bring some people in. We'd be like peas and carrots. So here's something I want to maybe talk about on a future podcast. Maybe okay. we can talk about this someday. And maybe you can, I don't know if you've looked into this at all. Artificial intelligence. Everybody's talking about that in the law these days. Uh. Is there... Are the robots coming to steal our jobs? Right, that's part of it. And then can the robots enhance our jobs? Have you thought anything about that? I have. As a matter of fact, two things. Uh, Today, I'll be speaking as part of a panel on artificial intelligence and how it's impacting the legal profession. Okay. How it's impacting things like legal research, uh, contract analytics, things like that. Last year, I was part of a symposium at Texas A&M Law School, one of the first symposia in the country about AI and its impact on the law. Uh, and I've got a forthcoming law review article on that. And I've actually started uh, working on an article for a journal uh, on robotics, artificial intelligence in the law, on the civil and criminal liability issues and questions posed by what happens when things go wrong. Like when a robot in an auto factory, for example, uh, kills someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happens when a driverless car run someone over. Uh, These are issues that the law is going to have to grapple with. And, you know, what sort of theories are are pursued? Is it a product liability theory? Is it a vicarious liability theory against the employer? Uh, These are all things that are very much part of a still evolving landscape in the law. Would you be willing to come back and talk to us about that? I'd love to, Rocky. Those sound like some interesting topics. Hey, anytime I can, you know, in my 50s, channel my inner nine-year-old and write about killer robots, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I think you've been working your whole life for this moment. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, it's all been leading up to this. Exactly. Well, John, it's always a pleasure to have you. You know, we always have a lot of fun together, and our follow-up on AI is going to be epic. Uh, I hope so. I look forward to it. And we do need to give some serious thought to this Forrest Gump-themed session. We need to we see how I, we can know, make this I, work. You know, I've had some pretty amazing things happen, and, you know, I'm still a little mystified by some of it. <laughs> you know, all kidding aside, you've earned it. You're a fantastic lawyer, and it's been it's been a pleasure having you here. And, you know, thank you for listening, by the way. You know, 
John is a great guy. If you want to reach out to John, you want to learn a little bit more about what he does. John, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, my law firm website, Passman and Jones. Okay. Uh, so www.passmanjones.com. Uh, and my email address, browningj at passmanjones.com. And you'd welcome people reaching out with questions. Absolutely. I get questions out. all the time from lawyers all over the country. And you're traveling all and the time. And judges. You're traveling all the time. You could probably go meet people if you're in their city <laughs> or something. They'd probably want to. Well, I don't there's know. There's a celebrity factor yeah, there. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think that, that's going to happen too much. But I already travel too much. Paparazzi, do they follow you around? Uh, no. Maybe they will after I, this. I look in a mirror every day, Rocky. So, you know. <laughs> I've got a face for podcasting, let's just say. <laughs> so, again, John, thank you for being with us. It's and been a pleasure. A pleasure to have you here. And thank you for listening to the State Bar of Texas podcast in partnership with Legal Talk Network. If you liked what you heard today, please find us and rate us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or on your favorite podcast app. And, guys, thank you for joining us. After all, life's a journey. Tune in. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to texasbar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>